Well, good morning, church. I am uh, really happy to be here with you guys this morning, as every morning. It is my joy and delight to be here. My name is Marv Nelson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. If you are new, uh, welcome. I want to say welcome and let you know who I am. I am going to pray, and we're going to dive right into John chapter 11 again. Now, we're going to, this is the wrap-up of this idea of responding to suffering. I'm sure many of you are excited because we're talking about suffering again this week. Yeah? Amen? Woo! All right. Exciting. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into the Bible together. Father, we are so thankful that you love us. We are thankful that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, that we have a hope because of the resurrection. We have a hope because you live, you love, and you speak today. So Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. God, that we will shake off any any lethargy or shake off anything that may hinder us from hearing your word this morning. All of us suffer. All of us have experienced pain and loss. And so this message is relevant for each and every one of us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will illuminate your word this morning, that you will touch our hearts, that it won't just be for education, but Father, may it be for the sake of transformation. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. An interesting perception that I have experienced with people in in my life as a pastor is that many people say, oh, well, you're a pastor. You've never experienced a lot of pain or suffering in your life. And, well, I mean, that's just, that's a wrong perception. And and I've shared with you early on when I first took the job a little bit of my story, and I wanted to share a little bit more of it today as well so that you can kind of understand a little bit more about who I am and how the, the truth of the gospel has changed and transformed my life when it comes to responding to suffering. And I'm not gonna say that I've done it well every time or most times, but the reality is, is I've seen the, the, the love and the transformation that God can bring in brokenness. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. My dad was actually a CMA pastor. He's recently retired. I, I grew up in a home that talked about Jesus, that loved Jesus, that preached and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. When I was three years old, I preached my first sermon on John 3.16 at Spartansburg Alliance Church. I was passionate about the word. I loved the gospel. It was a beautiful thing in my life until it wasn't. What do you mean by that? Well, my parents got a divorce. My mom left my dad for another man, had an adulterous affair, and and started dating guys and, and marrying guys who were alcoholics and drug addicts. She had two other husbands before she married her husband now, and we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, later. I remember a time when my parents were separated and not yet divorced when my dad and my mom were sitting at the dinner table conversing about their relationship, seeing where things were going. And I remember as I was being in the living room as an eight-year-old kid, I saw my dad get up and storm out of the kitchen angrily. And all of a sudden, we began hearing him punching down his door, his bedroom door. He was punching it down with his fists in anger and frustration. And then he ran out of the house and went into his church office, his pastor's office, and slit his wrists and attempted to slit his jugular vein. And he came into the house bleeding. And I remember as an eight-year-old kid, seeing my father bleeding in our kitchen, which was a parsonage, by the way, and thinking, where is God 
How can God exist in this moment? And I saw as things changed, God brought about restoration, and we'll talk about that. Two weeks later, my dad was back in his right mind and began to to build his life back up upon Jesus. But the the damage from my sister and my brother and I was done in that moment where, you know, we turned away from Jesus, we turned away from the gospel and began to turn to other things. As an eight-year-old kid, I discovered, and maybe you'll remember back in the 90s, that there were these, these vending machines that you could buy cigarettes out of. You just put a couple quarters in there, you pull the lever, and you get cigarettes. Well, I would go into the gas station, and I would buy cigarettes and say, oh, they're for my mom. Why they would allow an eight-year-old kid to buy cigarettes, I have no idea. But I began to experiment with cigarettes. And as a nine-year-old kid, I discovered what alcohol was for the very first time. Saw my 14-year-old sister getting drunk in our house in front of me. Life was painful. Life was difficult. And most of our family, my mom, my brother, and my sister, sister included, turned away from Jesus and turned to other things. Last week we saw a story of a girl who left her faith completely because of the death of her mother who died of breast cancer. Today we're going to look at how we can respond to suffering by turning to other things. But we must start and begin with the reality that suffering is part and parcel of the human experience. Suffering is part and parcel of the human, human experience. No one goes through life unscathed without suffering. We mentioned that, the same exact point, point number one, last week. None of us can get out of life without loss and pain. Now that's not one of those points where you're preaching and saying, Amen, brother! Right, Because no one wants to hear that, but it's the reality of life. And when we recognize that and understand that, we see that we need to respond to suffering in a specific way. Because our suffering does not have to derail our faith, it can deepen our faith. Suffering does not have to derail our faith, it can deepen our faith. And so as we look at John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37, we're going to seek to answer the same question we sought to answer last week, and that is this, how can we respond to suffering to increase our faith? How can we respond to suffering to increase our faith? Because it does not have to derail it. So if you have your scriptures, please open to John chapter 11, and we'll begin with verse 17. The word of the Lord says this, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We see the death of a beloved friend. As we saw last week, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of the best friends of Jesus in close proximity only to be overshadowed by the disciples. Deep, rich intimacy. He loved them. He had passion for them. And so as we look at this story, we're going to look at kind of the the reaction of Mary and Martha this week rather than the disciples as we looked at last week. So as we look at this, what is the first response that you and I can have as believers in order to deepen our faith and not derail our faith or turn from from our faith to other things? And that is this, I believe that we are to run toward Jesus and not away from him in the midst of our suffering. Run toward Jesus, not away from him in the midst of our suffering. You look at that that picture of Martha. She had just heard that Jesus was on his way, and she picked up and she ran to Jesus. She ran to him in the midst of it, even though she brought frustration and doubt in her conversation, saying, if only you were here, he would not have died. There's this undertone of, why weren't you here? So he didn't have to die. But the movement of faith was running to Jesus. It's really easy in our, in our society. It's really easy in the midst of pain and anxiety and stress and suffering and loss to run away from Jesus and towards other things that seem to medicate the problems better than Jesus does. All of those are areas of what we call false intimacy. We're seeking intimacy from something else. We're seeking healing from something else that cannot provide healing. Addiction to sex, money, power, drugs, whatever it is, will never satisfy that longing. It will always return. You might be able to get drunk or high one night, but then the next morning, it's back. The pain is still there, hovering over your head, so you have to go back to that addiction again and again and again and again. Martha gives us this beautiful picture of running toward Jesus and not away from Jesus. She ran toward Jesus and not away from him. We also see this undertone of frustration and disappointment. And we need to allow your disappointments, I need to allow my disappointments to direct you to a pursuit of the person of Jesus. Allow your disappointments to direct you to the pursuit of the person of Jesus. Let me just say here really quick, being disappointed with the answer that God gives you is not a sin. Having doubt in your faith is not a sin. It's what we do with that disappointment. It's what we do with that frustration. It's what we do with that doubt that dictates are we deepening our faith or are we derailing our faith. 
Because if you look through the entirety of Scripture, you see one of the biggest people in all of history in the Scriptures who was named a man after God's own heart, David. He was very frustrated, filled with doubts, and shared his disappointment often in the Psalms. And you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you see these aspects of disappointment and frustration happen in his life and in the life of the people of Israel. But when we're disappointed... When we are frustrated, when we are doubting our faith, do we just run away and say, well, it's not worth dealing with? Listen, God is bigger than your doubts. God is bigger than your disappointments. God is bigger than your fear. God is bigger than your anxiety. God can and will deal with your doubts, disappointments, and frustrations. He has an answer for them. We do not have to be afraid to have that discussion. But many times we have this thing within us, well, I'm already doubting, I might as well walk away. Or, or God, God just doesn't have an answer. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. I, he doesn't speak to me the way he speaks to other people. But that is not true. You and I have the same Holy Spirit of the living God welling up within us. If we are believers, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it promises, the scripture promises that he will lead us in all truth. And we're going to unpack that as we go deeper into the book of John in the later coming weeks. Allow our disappointments to direct us to a deeper pursuit. Ask those questions. Do not be afraid of asking questions of God. God, why did you allow this to happen? God, show me the purpose as we talked about last week. Why is this happening? What is going on with these disappointments? It's interesting because Mary's response was different. Mary allowed her disappointment to keep her home. Now, if you look at the story of Mary, some commentators, they say, oh, this was natural. You know, Martha's the worker. She's the one that gets things done. Of course she ran to Jesus. But we see in Luke this passionate display of wanting to be with Jesus from Mary as she sat at the feet of Jesus to hear every word he had said. And Martha was busy in the kitchen, not paying attention to what Jesus was saying at that moment. For me, I believe that Mary allowed her frustration to blockade her relationship with Jesus in this moment. She chose to remain. John was very specific in letting us know Mary remained behind. She allowed her disappointment and her frustration for a time to hold her back from going towards Jesus. From going towards Jesus. Now, Martha, again, as she comes to Jesus in her frustration, she says this, Jesus, if you were here, he would not have died. We see that undertone of frustration bringing it to him. She brought that frustration to Jesus. And Jesus gives her a very specific answer. He simply says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. This will not end in death. One of the things as I was studying this passage over the last year or so that struck me was in chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus, as the messenger from Mary and Martha, is still in front of Jesus. Jesus says this, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. That message was to go back to Mary and Martha. They misunderstood it. And they were frustrated in the fact that, you know what, it ended in death. 
What is wrong with you? Why did you do it the wrong way? Jesus comes and responds, I am the resurrection and the life. And so as we're going through suffering, as we're frustrated, as Mary and Martha were, we need to remember that suffering cannot stifle Christ's resurrection power. Suffering cannot stifle Christ's resurrection power. He's saying, listen, you might think it's over. You might think it's done. You might think the last word has been said, but I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says to her, he will rise again. And Mary, or Martha goes all theological for a moment. She's like, I know at the end days he's going to rise again. Thank you for reminding me of that, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, the resurrection will happen and we will all rise together. And he's like, wait, Martha, you're not catching it. Yes, that's true. He doesn't go and, and tell her that she's wrong. He agrees with that. But he says, listen, he will rise again because I and the resurrection. Your suffering cannot be stifled. It cannot stifle Christ's power, rather. Christ's power is stronger than your suffering. Christ's resurrection power is stronger than your anxiety. It is stronger than your doubt. It is stronger than your fear. And that is something that we must consistently remind ourselves of. Because in the midst of our pain and our suffering, it's hard to see that his power can get us through. The cloud can be so dark. The pain so powerful that we miss the reality of this truth that suffering cannot stifle his resurrection power. Warren Wiersbe reminds us, true faith relies on God's promises and thereby releases God's power. Had Mary and Martha had grabbed a hold of the promise that Jesus had given them in verse 4, that he had sent ahead before he got there, that this will not end in death. Had they grabbed a hold of that promise, they would have remembered, wow, he is the power. His promise, believing in his promise, is where we will receive power in our faith. And I've said this several times from the book of Ephesians and from the book of John, that you and I can stand on the promises of God. When we look at the word of God, we see the promises that he gives us, we can hold them true, and our faith will be strengthened, and we will see power in our lives because the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, own it, believe it, have faith. I am the resurrection. I am life. I am everything you need. Everything I say I will give you, I will give you. We can stand upon the promises of the gospel of truth. Jesus reminds us of that in this passage. Mary and Martha misunderstood his promise in chapter, in verse 4. Listen, full restoration is available in the resurrection. What the locusts have eaten in your life, God can and will restore. The areas of your life that death has reigned and ruled, God can and will restore. Resurrection means coming from death to life. It's a restoration of a dead person back into life. And those areas that you see in your life right now, the losses and the grief and the pain and the anxiety and the suffering... 
There can be life in that death, and there will be life in that death if we submit to the resurrection power of the living God. We could say, you know what? He doesn't have power. Let it lie. It's dead. It's over. I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm going to go to these other things and receive more life and more satisfaction from them. But he's saying, listen, it will never be resurrected and restored if you walk away and move towards these things rather than towards me. Full restoration is available in the resurrection. Full restoration. Kostenberger, a commentator, reminds us Jesus seeks to shift Martha's focus from an abstract belief in the resurrection on the last day to a personal trust in the one who provides it here and now. The resurrection power of Jesus is for here and now. It is a now and not yet reality. Because in the last days when we do rise, everything will be made right. Restoration will happen to all of creation. But you and I, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, because Christ has died and rose again, because he has the resurrection power, you and I have access to restoration here and now. The enemy does not have to have the last word. Our suffering does not have the last word. Jesus does. Amen? Our suffering does not have the last word. Jesus does. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 reminds us, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And that question comes with an answer. It's not there. The sting is gone. The victory is over. Now you're sitting there saying, well, yeah, well, you don't know my pain and you don't know my suffering and you don't know what I've been through. But what I can share with you is my story because our stories have power. God has given us a testimony to share, to say, guess what? Here's what God did in my life and he can do it in yours. After all that we had been through as a family, after all that the enemy sought to destroy in our family, God restored it all. God restored it all. My brother is a, is a senior pastor at Shelby Alliance Church in Ohio. My sister is a Christian counselor. My brother-in-law, who she married, was a part-time youth pastor for a time. He left nuclear engineering for about two years to be a youth pastor. Now he's back in nuclear engineering. <laughs> but the, you see these aspects of my life. My dad went back into ministry. My dad was a pastor at a small church in Burnside called Burnside Alliance Church. Maybe you know where that's at. It's not that far from here. It's midway between here and Mahaffey. God used all of that to encourage and grow and strengthen our faith. And not because we chose that necessarily. Because we walked away, we ran away. And the most beautiful aspect of all of this, of idea of full restoration, is found in my mom's story. Because my mom is back with the Lord, walking in love with Jesus, and her husband now is a man of God who desperately loves the Lord and loves my mom. Everything that the enemy sought to destroy, God brought back to life. That is a testimony that you can take and say, you know what, God did it there, he can do it for me. Because he can. The promises of scripture is that our suffering does not have the last word. Jesus does. And that's a hard thing to remember in the midst of the pain. And I don't want it to be trite as if it's just, oh, God has the last word. <laughs> Get over it. Because God never in the scriptures minimizes our pain. God in the scriptures never minimizes our pain. When he came to Mary, 
And when he came to Martha and they gave the frustration and the doubt and, and the, the undertone of a little bit of disappointment, he didn't say, stop it, get over it, just stop and suck it up. No, God doesn't do that. He was there with them. He heard their frustration. He spent time with them in their pain. Which brings us to another thing that you and I need to attach to our lives in the midst of our suffering. A response to suffering is to recognize that Jesus cares about and joins us in our suffering. Jesus cares about and joins us in our suffering. If Jesus did not care about their pain, he would not have asked Martha to go and get Mary. But he purposely asked Martha, go and get Mary. We need to, to grieve together. We need to have this conversation together as believers. We need to suffer together. I care about the pain that you're going through. I care about the pain that Mary is going through. That's something that you and I have got to remember. Because many times in our suffering, we respond with this lie, I am alone. How many of you, by a show of hands in your suffering, have believed that you've been alone? You're not alone. You and I are not alone in our suffering. We might look around and say, no other Christian can understand what I'm going through. That's not true. We can look around and say, God has no idea what I'm going through. That's not true. Because God understands. God cares. He joins us in our suffering. Hebrews says that Jesus dealt with everything on this earth that you and I have ever dealt with or will ever deal with. He understands our suffering and he joins us in our suffering. Now when Mary gets called by Jesus, when he says to Martha, go in private and call Mary to me because I want to be with her because I care about the pain that she's going through, she chose to go. She chose to go. Even though she was frustrated, even though she remained, Jesus remained where he was where Martha met him and waited for Mary to return. And so this gives us another point that we need to have in response to suffering. That is to determine to hear and heed his voice during suffering. Mary remained sensitive to his voice despite her pain. When he called, she came. She was determined to hear and to heed his voice, even in the midst of suffering. We might think that God is not speaking in the midst of our suffering. We might believe that God doesn't care, and so he's not speaking to us. He's not trying to console us. He's not trying to be with us because we feel so much pain, and we feel it so deeply. But C.S. Lewis reminds us, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Are we determining in the midst of our suffering to hear and heed his voice? Because when we step back in our suffering and allow God to speak to us, we will recognize that he understands, that he joins with us, and he cares about our pain. 
The lies of the enemy will be broken that we are alone and that we are lost in this pain and this suffering and this anxiety and this fear and this doubt and these disappointments because we will hear the voice of the loving Father who says, I am with you always. I have never left you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you. When we feel the presence of the living God, even though our situation or circumstances don't change. We change. Because we recognize He is with us. That He has joined us in our pain. We must recognize again that He does not minimize our pain. He doesn't come into our suffering and say, okay, you're done now. He says, you know what, let's cry together. Let's weep together. Because I'm in it. I'm with you. And my presence will restore you. And the resurrection power I have will bring back to life that which was dead. If you see that word in there where it says that Jesus was a little bit frustrated, that he was angry, you could see that word (coughs) where he comes and it says, where have you laid him, they said. Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And we see him weeping. But we see also in verse 33 that as the people were weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That Greek word is tarasso, and what it means is to be deeply disturbed, angry, frustrated. Listen, God is not happy about your pain. When he sees us suffering, he's not like, well, that's what they got what they deserved. I'm so glad they're finally feeling the pain. That's not his response at all. Because suffering was never part of the original plan of creation. When he sees people in pain and anxiety and suffering and fear and doubt and disappointment, he gets disturbed because this is not the way it was supposed to be. Yet because of the fall of man, because of sin and brokenness, we are here. Creation is broken and it breaks his heart because he does not desire that for us. Yet because of the fall, it is a reality. But that's why Jesus came, to bring resurrection to that which has been lost and dead. Which brings us to point number nine. Jesus understands our pain. Jesus understands our pain. One pastor called that verse of Jesus wept the most powerful but also the shortest verse in the scriptures. Because Jesus, A, we see the humanity of Jesus, that he cries as a human cries. He experiences that pain. He understands that pain. And so he weeps. When you weep, so does he. He calls us to weep with one another. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, mourn with those who mourn. Mourn, grieve, so that I can bring comfort, he also says. Mourn with those who mourn. He mourns alongside of you as you mourn the loss of life in your life. As you mourn the loss of all these different things that happen to bring grief, he understands, but he doesn't minimize it either. I think too often with our Christianese, we can minimize people's pain. 
But what God calls us to is to join one another in their pain. When someone is weeping, is our response to go and put our arm around them and say, it's all going to be okay. Or do we sit there, sitting next to them, and allow their pain to be our pain, to cry alongside with them, to let them know, I'm here in your suffering. Are we mourning with those who mourn, or are we afraid of those who mourn so much that we stay away from them when they're crying? Or do we say, oh, it's going to be okay? Those things are true. God will bring about the good in the bad. But first, we need to join them in their mourning. That's the body of Christ. That's the beauty of being Jesus to one another. Jesus himself understands our pain. Jesus himself came with us. God gets it. You are not alone. I am not alone. And as the body of Christ, we have got to show one another that you are not alone. You are not alone. And finally, one of the things that we can see in this passage, which is beautiful, as we look towards the resurrection of Lazarus, a missed miracle could be a setup for a massive miracle. We look at this story and they're frustrated saying, you could have done a miracle. You could have. You've opened the eyes of the blind. We see at the very end, verse 37, but some of them who were there said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They wanted to see the miracle of healing. They wanted to see that miraculous work. But sometimes the miracle we want is not the miracle we need. We need a greater, more massive miracle than we could ever envision. And that that miracle that we are disappointed that God didn't do could be a setup for a massive miracle that we could never anticipate, never expect. And Jesus, he's sitting there listening to these guys say this and say, oh man, they have no idea. They have no idea what, what, what I'm about to do. To glorify the name of Jesus, to show them that I am the Son of God, that this is real. So don't be looking at the circumstances and saying, God didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted. Well, maybe he didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted because it wasn't the prayer answer that you needed. Don't allow that to push you away from Christ. Allow it to push you closer. Let us be people who run toward Jesus in the midst of our suffering, not away from him. Let's expect Him to bring restoration in the midst of our brokenness, not knowing what it will look like, not knowing how it will come or when it will come. But also as believers, we need to remember and recognize that Christ understands our pain, cares about our pain, joins us in our pain, and that as the body of believers, we are to do that for one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a resurrecting power. Father, we thank you that you are a God who desperately and deeply loves your children. Father, we thank you that you can bring our brokenness back together again in an even stronger, more powerful way than we could have ever anticipated. Spirit of the living God, I pray that we 
will not minimize our pain, but allow you to join in it. And that we'll receive the healing balm of your presence. In your name, amen.